We are back on stand with civil rights activist and prominent scholar Naomi Wolf discussing her book, Facing the Beast. Uh, I know there are several different uh, ways that you approach it in the book, uh, Naomi, and as you talk about who the beast is, I, I can tell you just from looking at the title, my immediate response or thought was Thomas Hobbes, you know, the Leviathan. Um, and and really, you know, we're seeing, as you talk about the beast within us in the book, we're kind of seeing the beast writ large um, in some of the responses that we saw from uh, the government in the last few years as we were dealing with various crises. Uh, in your book, you talk about influential people who privately applauded your courage and and were supportive of what you were doing, but refused or were too scared to speak out publicly themselves. And you make a really powerful statement in your book that I'd love for you to comment on. You say, quote, I'm exasperated by those who stain the shadows, agreeing with the risk-taking of others who admire their courage. This is a form of othering that dehumanizes and exploits those speaking out. Could you comment on that a little further? Uh, sure. Um, gosh, well, I guess, I guess, um, you know, I, I'm very informed um, by my family's history, right? Because my grandmother, I'm Jewish, and my grandmother lost nine brothers and sisters to the Holocaust. Wow. And you know, I've read, and I wrote a book in 2008 about other countries' descent into fascism. And I looked at other times and places in which democracies were subverted by totalitarians on the left or on the right. And, and they always do the same 10 things. They take the same 10 steps. Um, and so I recognized very early on that we were at step 10, which is emergency law. And there's no, there, it's very difficult to get the democracy back after, you know, you've gone to step 10. Um, so, I, I knew from reading history the importance of speaking up early. And if more people in 1931 and 32 and 33 had spoken up, um, it would have been much more difficult for mm -hmm. the Nazis to acquire power. And I also knew that speaking up early is much less dangerous than being silent. Like people think, you know, it's that fantastic, I think Audre Lorde quote, my silences had not protected me, your silences will not protect you. People think that if they just keep their heads down, they'll be safe. And history shows that's the opposite of true. Right. Um, things just get more and more dangerous, and then they take you to a quarantine camp anyway. <laughs> no, seriously, that's like literally what happens. Um, so if people comply, and I, the other quote I love is RFK Jr., no one ever complied their way out of totalitarianism. Mm. So, uh, so I was getting these DMs from again, people in my you know milieu, the most privileged, right? The best educations, um, all the things that should empower people to step into the breach hey, when point. there is at stake, right? That's why are you given all this privilege and education if not to help your fellow human beings and show some leadership when there's a real emergency? And instead of you know stepping forward, um, they were DMing me saying, I love what you're saying, Naomi, but of course I'm not going to speak because, and then they would give me nonsensical reasons, like, because my boss will be mad at me. You know, not like, because I'll be executed, right? But because people will be upset with me. Um, and I I just I just felt like, and then I was watching people that, you know, have since become my good friends, like 
Dr. Peter McCullough, Dr. Paul Alexander, you know, all of the brave doctors and scientists, that, you know, Martin Kulldorff and Jay Bhattacharya, uh, suffer, you know, erasures of position and reputation. And I was suffering erasures of position, reputation, money, you know, all of it. Um, by telling the truth, you know, doing just what you're, we weren't being especially heroic, you know, in the large scheme of things, they're being actual doctors and scientists. I'm being an actual journalist. It's de minimis, you know, it's like, it's like just what you're supposed to do. But, but also on a human level, when you're, when your uh, fellow men and women's lives are at stake or their freedom is at stake, you are supposed to speak out, right? We know this. And literally as Americans, you're supposed to do that. So I, I didn't respect these people who are saying, well, I really agree with you, but I'm not going to say anything because why should I speak for their kids if they're not going to speak for my kids, you know? Mm -hmm. And they were benefiting from the heroism of Dr. McCullough and Dr. Alexander, me, you know, whatever my courage was at that point and um, not trying to paint myself as a hero, but it was, you know, hard every day and they were benefiting and they were, staying in the shadows and weakening us, you know, not empowering us. So I think, I think it was also othering because it's like, it's like people who send other people's children, you know, to the front and like, oh, you know, your kids can enlist. Um, they were kind of almost exploiting us, you know, to protect their uh, liberties uh, without um, risking anything themselves. Mm. I hope that answers your question. No, that's it's not how it's supposed to work. That no, that's a fantastic uh, answer, and you know it makes me think of in my my father's home country, Democratic Republic of Congo. It was the, the people there were subject to a totalitarian state for a long time um, after colonization with Mobutu Sese Seko, Laurent Kabila. Mm -hmm. um, we see this in countries around the world, and yet somehow we think that it just won't happen to us. And even if we see ourselves going down that that dark road somehow some way we'll get back on track it'll be okay there'll be somebody like naomi wolf and dr naomi peter mccullough who will come in and and save the day and we won't have to sacrifice yeah um and what i hear you saying is no we if we all want to preserve our freedoms we all need to sacrifice and we all need to link arms and we shouldn't be pushing other people in front of the firing squad uh, and then saying, thank you, thank you for doing that. I do that, but you know, right? I'll get shot. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and yeah. so, uh, no, I really appreciate that answer. Well, I think you made this uh, comment like this in the book. It stood out to me, something about totalitarianism will always bulldoze over the few, but it can't take the the crowds. Um, right. And I, I remember you talking at length in the book about um, what we would say is the cancel culture you face, but it was far more extreme than that. I mean, the deplatforming and the silencing of you that's happened, you detailed how you, you posted a what now is a universally recognized truth, an accurate statement back in, I think, mid-2021. And immediately, you're taking off of all of the major social media platforms, uh, mocked and ridiculed and internationally in news journals and um on commentators who I think previously were your friends. Um, and then and then it extends past there. So for people who don't know, um, major, major news commentators or um, best-selling authors and national celebrities who've interviewed Naomi Wolf, even their channels 
get deplatformed. And by deplatformed, I mean they completely are erased, never to be returned and reinstated, simply because they show an interview with Naomi Wolf. And so uh, it's taking cancel culture to an extreme. Like Naomi Wolf no longer exists in our culture because what you're saying is so offensive to the group of friends that you've come from. Um, I wanted to ask you about that. Why are they so hostile to you? What is so dangerous that requires deplatforming you at such an extreme level? Right. Well, I don't think it's personal, um, ultimately, uh, because two lawsuits by two states' attorney general, uh, Missouri and Louisiana, against the Biden administration found that the initiator of the deplatforming and smearing was the White House, the administration mm. that I worked for. Um, believe it or not, there's internal emails. Uh, also, um, America First Legal uh, discovered these as well in their lawsuit. But our taxpayer dollars, you know, this administration for whom I had voted, was spending time emailing one another at the highest levels, um, CDC, uh, Carol Crawford, um, you know, White House staff, uh, the US Bureau of the Census for some creepy reason that is not that clear to me, but but creepy in terms of my personal security because, you know, they would sure. have my personal address and so on. Um, and they were literally talking about this tweet that you referenced, you know, that is accurate, that said women are experiencing menstrual problems subsequent to mRNA injection. You know, they're having bleeding around people who are vaccinated and this is unconfirmed, needs more investigation. That was the tweet. And, you know, not like I want to overthrow the government, you know, and it'll happen at this time and this date with this militia. It, it's literally about women's reproductive health, which, by the way, I've been writing about as a beloved icon Correct. of the culture. Since I wrote my first book at 26, it is my beat, right? I'm, I, you know, I wrote about breast implants. I wrote about, you know, the industrialization of childbirth. I wrote about female sexual desire, you know, like this, I wrote about anorexia and bulimia. If, if, if I'm not going to notice that women are having menstrual problems in 2021, which means they'll have fertility problems in 2023, which is exactly what we're seeing now. And the book goes into detail about this 13 to 20% drop yeah. in live birth entirely predictable if women are having menstrual problems um you know who's supposed to do it right i mean it's like so uh i guess what i'm trying to say is this push was the white house uh bullying twitter and facebook hmm. and twitter complying and then um a whole mechanism which is uh that the you know onion peels are being unveiled more and more every day now with like the release of documentation this was a whole program you know in, inside the white house and to to uh, target misinformation right? right and so i think that the guardian and you know wikipedia and the bbc and like just what was so creepy in 2021 was this um change in my reputation with conspiracy theorists added as the first sentence right you know head of Rhodes scholar yale oxford you know eight bestsellers it's like wacky conspiracy theorists like overnight all at once and at that time, I didn't know that AI was being deployed in journalism. So I didn't even mm -hmm. understand how it was possible that all these hit pieces were coming out all at once around the world. But I guess what I'm trying to say is I, you know, there's a chapter that kind of goes, I forgive you, I forgive you, I forgive you, all you right. awful people, <laughs> the awful things you did. Um, but I kind of have to, I'm not going to forget, and there's accounting to be done, but I, I kind of forgive 
the journalists and news outlets that to this day are, are going after me because there was a gigantic apparatus with the most oh, powerful land um, going after them and a vast amount of money flowed as well to uh, target uh, misinformation um, from, first from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and then the CARES Act to news outlets. So it doesn't excuse anybody, but I, I'm just putting it in context and trying to kind of rise above my personal, you know, irritation at seeing my whole reputation torched all at once by, by my friends, but um, in, in, in platforms that used to publish me. But I guess the bigger picture is, um, I think too, it's helpful to have a, a, a warning shot or a case study. Like, I think I was kind of held up as, if you do what Naomi Wolf did, this will happen to sure. you. Sure. That's good. Thank you, Naomi. This has been a fantastic interview. Been on with Naomi Wolf on stand. Get her book, Facing the Beast. We'll be right back after this break. Stand by.